Hey everybody, I'm Mike McDonald. My buddy Jesse Stratton loves some of the cheesiest movies ever made. He spent years telling me about them all, so now I'm finally watching these movies for the very first time. This is our podcast where we break those movies down together. This is the Celluloid Dumpster Fire. Hey everybody, welcome back. Today we are talking about a 1991 direct-to-video kind of a rom-com. We are talking about Lunatics, a love story. This is like the flip side of that last movie. Yeah, yeah, it really is. A uh, movie was made on a budget of somewhere under a half a million dollars. Never got a theatrical release. It was direct-to-video. It's a short watch, too. It's 87 minutes long. No critical reviews, but it does have a 62% audience rating on Rotten Tomatoes. It kind of seems like an episode of some like kind of TV show. Like, I don't know. Have you ever seen Love American Style? Yes. Okay. It's kind of like that, but like uh-huh. grungy and like grungy in 90s. And I don't right. know. It does. It's really quick. It's like two people meet each other in the weirdest set of circumstances. And right. fall in love, and that's your fucking movie. Yeah, this movie also also floats the idea that two people with profound mental illness will be perfect for each other. If they want to be miserable, they will be. But this movie makes it makes uh, makes it out that they can be perfectly happy together because their mental illnesses will will match uh, very nicely, and they'll ha- live happily ever after. Yeah, like opposite track or something, but you yeah, know, something is, like that. It's a total fucking nutso movie, though. Yeah. I don't, I don't, like, like it's so zany. You're not gonna buy that. Like they're not gonna live happy ever after. Like one of them's gonna end up killing one of them. You know, <laughs> probably if you base it on the crazy people that I've been involved with over the years. Yeah, somebody's gonna end up in a ditch at the end of this movie. Was written and directed by Josh Becker. He is known as a director. On Running Time, Alien Apocalypse, Xena Warrior Princess, and Real Stories of the Highway Patrol. He's also known as an actor from the Evil Dead franchise. Yeah. In fact, this has a lot of connections to Sam Raimi. Also, uh, that Alien Apocalypse movie was a golden turd. (laughs) Oh, yeah? Yeah, it's uh, one of those that was produced straight for the Sci-Fi Channel, and it's got i don't know giant cgi bugs that just go around like eating people's heads off that sounds like uh a sci-fi original absolutely i mean they made what four or five sharknado films so yeah that makes sense i I don't remember i think it's like it's either after the first sharknado or it's like right before that whole sharknado craze when they first started like producing sci-fi originals and this, this is one of those yeah. So definitely recommend that movie. And just, you know, I love all of like Evil Dead. Anything that's closely associated to Evil Dead, I'm going to fucking love it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Movie was produced by Sam Raimi, who gave us the Evil Dead franchise, Xena Warrior Princess, and all of the Hercules TV shows. Mm. Kevin Sorbo owns, owes his entire sorry career to Sam Raimi. I don't know. I like his, because uh, like he did all that stuff in the 90s. He had that, or the late 2000s and shit, the producer credit. 
But then, like, later on, he did it, too, with uh, the Evil Dead TV series. Right. And Spartacus, Blood in the Sand. Yeah. Which, that, that show was crazy, crazy. Movie stars Ted Raimi as Hank. Uh, he appeared in the Evil Dead franchise, played a fan-favorite character in Hercules and Xena, also appeared on CSI New York, Shocker, Patriot Games, The Grudge, and Candyman. He was uh he was also in uh one of the movies we talked about on this show. Crime Wave? Uh the one where the twin brothers and they're killing each other uh they're killing people on Thanksgiving. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Blood Rage. Yeah, Blood Rage. He's the creep in the uh in the bathroom at the three at the theater selling people comments. That's and- right. Yes, he is. Movie also stars Deborah Foreman as Nancy. She appeared in Valley Girl, My Chauffeur. Real Genius, that's one of my favorite movies, and April Fool's Day. I love April Fool's Day. Uh, I don't, like a lot of people say, that's not like a, a real killer movie and blah, blah, blah. And yeah, fuck that guy. You know, I love that movie. It's great I movie. don't think I've seen April Fool's Day, but I loved Real Genius in spite of Val Kilmer. I don't know. I think it was my favorite part of it. But yeah, I love Real Genius. I've seen that movie God, since I was a kid, and I, it, it gets better. Every time I watch, I'll just you know, like, hey, yeah, let's watch that again. That that movie is the reason that I never eat Jello in my underwear. <laughs> I don't know, man. Like, <laughs> John Christ, is that that's his name? Yeah, he plays Laszlo. And he, I think I love him in movies because of that movie. Yeah, Laszlo was a fantastic character, and he played it perfectly. Yeah, and then we've got Bruce Campbell as Ray and the brain surgeon and Mikhail Gorbachev. <laughs> I love Bruce Campbell. Don't get me started, man. There are a few other people in this movie, but they they're they're really not of any consequence. You know, these three people are the movie. Yeah, they're shimps or something. They're just like stand-ins for people because you you know. Yeah, they're just background. Movie opens with moody saxophone music and a shot of the L.A. skyline. Saxophone music turns into upbeat. Jazzy kind of rock as the it's opening the credits 90s. play. It's like it's like so early in the nineties, they didn't know what the nineties was gonna sound like. So yeah. they took everything that was big at the end of the eighties and just made one song with it. They did and then played it through the whole movie. Yeah. I mean, it's imagine Kenny G while he was still learning to play saxophone, but he hadn't got good enough to get anybody's attention yet. And yeah. that's what this is. It's like that, but like the uh, Kenny G's backup band is the Fat yeah. Boys. Yes, and it's like just like <laughs> kind of weird '90s hip hop beats with like trashy jazz solos over it. Yep. There's a shot of a billboard for a lingerie shop that is across the street from an apartment building, and a mail carrier is delivering mail inside the lobby of the apartment building. An old woman comes out of her apartment. And starts complaining that the mail carrier is late, even though the mail carrier says that she gets here at the same time every day. This is the last stop on her route. <laughs> A bunch of old, uh, older folks have gathered around the mailbox. This is apparently the highlight of their day is when the mail comes. And there's a a guy who said he was expecting a letter that he didn't get. The carrier opens up a box to put a letter in for uh 206 apartment 206 but that box is stuffed full 
And uh, she asks him to tell him to come down and get his mail sometime. The person in apartment 206 is still there because one of the people here, she says she hears him screaming at night still. That's when, when a man explains that he knew about somebody else who moved into an apartment and never came out for a, an entire year. When he finally came out, he was carrying a shotgun and he killed three people who were just walking by. So obviously this guy's crazy. Yeah. In apartment 206, all the lights are off and the walls are covered with aluminum foil because, of course, Hank is laying on the floor underneath his bed whimpering and the camera zooms in on his eye until we can see his brain and <laughs> spiders are popping out of his brain. It's really well shot. Like, I love that. Like, uh, for like a, such a cheap movie and shit, they really use their, like, their know-how. Of like, yeah, you know, making all horror movies and shit. Uh, I mean, like really, if they didn't spend a half a million dollars, or even if they did spend a whole half a million dollars, I would say they spent probably two hundred thousand of it just on animation. Yeah, it's like stop motion animation and shit. It's pretty good. Yeah, the animated parts of this movie are are really good. Was he a brain surgeon? Opening up Hank's head and reaching in with a scalpel. That's when Hank rolls out from under the bed, screaming and swatting at imaginary spiders until he finally bashes his head against the doorframe in order to calm himself down. Hank's got problems, dude. Oh, yeah. He also has a book of Edgar Allan Poe's work, and he starts reciting The Raven. He um, approaches the door of his apartment, almost like he's thinking about going outside, and this is almost like the, the stereotypical New York apartment with six deadbolts. Yeah. He starts undoing the deadbolts and cracks the door open and peeps out into the hallway. There's nobody there. And then all of a sudden, the surgeon's hand reaches around the door with a giant syringe. Uh, but Hank manages to get the door closed and locked back up so everything's safe again. <laughs> The surgeon obviously isn't there, but, you know, Hank's not yeah. right. It's there for him. In the newspaper, he sees an ad for a party line, one of those 976 chat lines. Oh, my God. I don't know if any of our audience is old enough to remember those, but, oh, my God. They'd be advertised on USA Up All Night all yeah. the time. Call 976 Party. Call now. Let's party. You can talk. Or just listen. It's not like only like sex lines and shit. They used to have one for every fucking thing. Like any. Oh, yeah. Like any cartoon or some shit. I remember like there was a Simpsons. There was that one where it was like you you spend like a dollar ninety nine a minute to hear tired old crappy jokes told by yeah. a goblin puppet. Like what the hell is wrong with the fucking 90s and 80s? <laughs> Uh, like, you look it up. There's like uh, the neon party puppet, and it's like a 976 ad, and it's fucking weird as shit. It is! This is dial and insult! This is dial and insult! Call 1 900 to insult! Dial and insult! Are you half in the bed? Say it's about to get worse. There's a guy called Sultan who's waiting to cross. When you dial up, he's gonna cut you down. He's gonna let you 
know that you're nothing but a clown. You'll get him stolen. One dollar per minute, two dollars faster. The kids get permission. One nine hundred two insult. Call now and you'll never be the same again. But I, I remember like nine seven six evil. That movie was awesome. Yeah, which was because that was like in the the heyday of it in the eighties. And like you get to this movie, it's supposed to take place in the nineties. But they started getting phased out. I mean, it was like then. It, then it was like one eight hundred, you know, call chick or whatever or something. But the, yeah, this right. is like a original nine seven six number. Well, he dials the number, and there are a couple of girls arguing over who's going to go out with a guy. Hank introduces himself, and immediately everybody on the line starts hanging up. <laughs> He calls another line, but that number's been disconnected, and the message on the operator tells him to hang up, get a life, and dial your call again. <laughs> I loved that part. That's more like that Raimi zaniness. You can tell he definitely had his finger in this shit, because everything is kind of like a cartoon, you know? It really is, yeah. The last one we did of them, which I know is a different director, but like they all worked on everybody's shit. That crime wave yep. is... Kind of like that. It, everything's so pumped up and so jazzed up that it is like watching a Warner Brothers cartoon. Yep. Out on the street, there's a, a man carrying a giant boombox. There's a homeless woman pushing a shopping cart and somebody buying drugs. Nancy spots a dying plant in the trash and she decides she's going to rescue it. She also sees a small dog sitting on the sidewalk and she reaches out to pet it. But the dog immediately runs into the street and gets hit by a trash truck and killed. Um, <laughs> but the dog was the dog had some attitude to begin with, right? Yeah. Um, but Nancy blames herself for causing the dog's death, and she says that she's probably cursed. <laughs> I mean, yeah this this is uh this woman again this is this is mental health on parade here. Uh, apparently everything that goes wrong in the world went wrong because she was there, at least in her mind. Yeah. And the reality of it is nobody's really that important that they've got that much influence over everyone else's lives. But in her head, it's all her fault. Not to mention like the zaniest of this movie really makes it look like it's her fault. It kind of does. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, yeah I mean, no, this... you could make the argument that uh you know if she hadn't freaked out the dog he would have sat there and peed on the car's tires instead of running into the traffic running straight into the thing like he was escaping from her like yeah this, this movie's really fucked up <laughs> back in his apartment hank is sitting on his sofa having a very romantic conversation with the lingerie billboard and fantasizing that the woman in the billboard is in his apartment with him, uh, she joins him on the couch, and that's when the phone rings. It's Hank's mom. Hank says he was just thinking about her. That's kind of <laughs> creepy. <laughs> this guy's just got like, I don't know, man. But like, if she's like cursed, this guy's like, I don't know. I, I don't know what every, this guy is, but oh, geez. it's like every uh, bad quality that you can have in a dude. I guess I don't know. Yeah, I mean, but he's like, just a lonely guy. I, I don't know. He comes off as like kind of crazy with that whole the all the metal, like the aluminum foil and shit. Well, yeah, I mean, that's lonely, because but... that's how you keep the surgeon from from sticking you is the aluminum foil. Yeah, 
I don't know, man. He should wrap some around his head so the spiders don't come out then, you know? I don't it's just it's fucking weird. I love this movie because <laughs> it's so zany and none of this shit makes sense. Well, Hank's mom wants to know if he's coming to his brother's wedding and he didn't know that his brother Matt finally got married and oh <clears throat> Matt Matt got married over a year ago. This is your brother David's wedding. Mm-hmm. So he apparently he's way out of touch with his family also. She also doesn't think much of uh, his choice to pursue a career as a poet. Ah, okay. I see what this guy is great. Yeah, he wants to be a poet. He wants to. I mean, I don't know a single successful poet other than uh, the guy who wrote all of Elton John's lyrics. Well, that's the thing is uh, most poets aren't successful until after they're dead. Right. And that's when the caller shit skyrockets. You know, it's like you're only a uh, philosopher post uh, post death. You know, as posthumously, right. it's like yeah. Right. Before that, you're just an annoying drunk. You know, exactly. <laughs> well, Hank uh, Hank tries to weasel out of going to the wedding. Meanwhile, down on the street, Nancy is outside the Parisian Hotel, the fanciest hotel in Los Angeles. Uh, And then we see the hotel, and part of the sign is falling apart. There's trash piled up out front. It looks like a department store that somebody tried to turn into a motel. Not really sure. It's bad. (laughs) Yeah. It's really bad. She walks into the lobby. There are people sitting around watching TV, and the manager says that, uh, you know, you got to pay for that room by the day, and you're three days behind. And he <laughs> wants to get paid. Nancy says her boyfriend's got the money, but he hasn't been around for a few days. I mean, so the manager takes the 20 that she has and tells her to get the rest of the money by tonight, or he's kicking them out. Up in the motel room, there's her boyfriend, Ray, and it looks like he's re- getting ready to head back out. He's polishing his shoes and brushing his hair. Uh, it turns out he convinced her to leave home, her home in Iowa, move out to California with him. Now that they're out here, well, he's done. He's moving on. He's ready to break up with her. And she's convinced that that's because she's cursed. He's been hearing this ever since they left Iowa, and he's done with it. <laughs> Well, Ray packs up all of his stuff and leaves through the window going down the fire escape and sticks Nancy with the hotel bill. Nancy watches out the hotel window as Ray gets in the car with another woman and they both leave. Fucking Bruce Campbell, man. I know. He was a jerk in Crime Wave, exactly the same as he is here. Oh, yeah, he's a jerk in everything, man. (laughs) That's that's how he got famous. Just being a jerk. (laughs) That's like that uh that Bill Hicks was that Bill Hicks that did that song Chick Dig Jerks? Uh, I don't remember. I remember uh Dennis Leary doing I'm an asshole. <laughs> they both apply here. Oh yeah. Well, downstairs at the hotel, Nancy's leaving as the manager stops her. He wants the money. Uh, but Ray took all of her money. And so the hotel manager's gonna call the police, but that's all right. Nancy just leaves. In Hank's apartment, he turns on the radio to find some mellow tunes to help him relax. But what he finds is not at all mellow. Instead, it's a hip-hop tune about anxiety, and a rap crew appear. They're going to do this number a couple of times, a song about having a nervous meltdown. Yeah. 
and it's as horrible as you, that whole sentence sounds. It's a, it's a movie produced by white guys, and they yep. just get some random uh, street rappers to pretty much rap a song that you might find on uh, Sesame Street if they did a song about mental health. Or it's your high school talent show. Or, yeah, no, yeah, it's definitely a high school talent show. Like, it, it, this shit is so fucking, like, just disappointed <laughs> and not authentic in, in anything. And then, yeah, they start doing wacky shit, like using his nose to scratch the record and shit. It's really gimmicky yep. and stuff. Yeah, it's like if the Three Stooges just did a rap number in the middle of one of their movies. Right. Well, eventually, Hank reaches the the off button on the radio, and as soon as he does, the, the rap crew disappears, and, and the, the song ends. Out on the street, Nancy is walking alone at night in Los Angeles when she is surrounded by a stereotypical Chicano street gang. Oh, man. And I'm sorry about the racial insensitivity of this bit, but it's the way they wrote it. Yeah, uh, th- this whole part didn't age that well. I mean, yeah, you know, street toughs—they're hard to uh, write, you know, for and uh, right. You always get the short end of the stick when they're they're getting their characters made, and this one is—they're like totally two two dimensional characters. Uh, oh yeah, definitely. And it's all uh, rapey street gang. Yep. I'm just gonna go out and say it. They, yeah, there's no redeeming quality. They're the goofiest. Oh, I looking. mean, there's there's no hiding it because it's written into the script that they intend to gang rape her. Yeah, and they all look like uh, what you like the the thugs on that uh one episode of Family Matters where uh, Urkel is wearing a wire and he has to go into the street gang hideout. You know, <laughs> that's what they look like. So they're they're not menacing at all. Uh, right. maybe to like Karen's back in the day or something, but they totally just look like, like goofy dudes. And, uh, you know, it's stupid. This this movie's goofy as fuck. And then they're going to pull something like this, like we're going to get this dark street gang to come out and uh, chase this girl down and threaten her with, you know. Yeah. Oh, what the fuck? Yeah, but no, they do it. They did well, it. Well, she manages to, yeah, they, they did it all right. Well, she manages to get the gun that the leader of the gang has in his waistband, of course, and she shoots him in the foot and then runs off. She makes her way to a bus station where she goes into a phone booth and tries to make a collect call. She's trying to call her grandmother. Her uncle answers the phone instead. This is when she finds out that her grandmother died. Nancy believes that her grandmother died because Nancy left Iowa and went to California. Damn. Yeah. Meanwhile, Hank is trying to convince himself that he feels great. He has everything he needs. So he's going to call a romance chat line. (laughs) He must have dialed the wrong number, though, because the phone rings in the phone booth where Nancy is. And he invites her over and she accepts immediately because... Entering the bus station, looking for her, are members of the street gang that she just ran away from. Yeah, that was weird. That's like the weird uh, do sex machina like other thing. Is he calls the sex line number and it goes straight to a cell phone or not a cell, but a, a it goes straight a phone to a booth. Phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, if it was if it was uh, like uh, made today, it would it would somehow he accidentally dialed her cell phone number. But yeah. 
She just happens right. that makes it weirder. She happens to be sitting in a phone booth hiding out, you know, just received this horrible news about a grandmother. And then bam, like somehow wires cross and he gets her phone booth. That's fucked up. That's yeah. Like a, yeah. And Hank is just so lonely that he does not care that this isn't the line he meant to call because that's a woman on the other end. So let's invite her oh, over. He's uh, totally under the impression that she is a sex line worker because when she she first shows up to his house, he's he, they're not connecting like conversationally. You know, it's like right. He's like one way, and she's the other way. So he's totally under like this. Is what happens when you call a sex line? Pretty lady just shows up on <laughs> your house. So he's like that cut out of reality, you know. Nine seven six numbers like dominoes for women. I know, right? He, he totally doesn't know how this works at all. I don't know. No, man. You just give him the credit card number, and then you know you get tired and you hang up. That's it. Yeah. So you got no, not this time. Well, she's not sure she wants to come over because maybe he's a weirdo, and he says no. He's the normalest guy she'll ever meet. Um, Maybe in this really. movie. In this movie, but in real life, yeah, no, it's total opposite. <laughs> but these guys are still looking for her, so she takes down his address and heads over. Meanwhile, in his apartment, Hank is gathering up laundry in preparation for Nancy's arrival, and there's a lot of it. Yeah. He even rehearses a conversation where he's going to give her a box of candy that he doesn't have. <laughs> oh, God, man. <laughs> then he starts obsessing about anything bad that can happen if she actually comes over. This is like me staring into a mirror right now at this point in the movie. <laughs> I definitely every, know how this guy Every awkward guy who ever got a date with somebody that he thought he'd never get a date with has done exactly this. Yeah, every time, too. This is like. He considers taking the aluminum foil down off the wall, but when he does, the brain searcher reaches through a hole in the wall and grabs him around the neck, and he's going to inject it in. Uh, got a great big needle he's going to inject Hank in the head with. Hank manages to escape, so instead the surgeon drills a hole through the floor and starts chasing him with a beam of light. <laughs> When Nancy arrives at Hank's apartment building, uh, the rapists are still looking for her. So she goes inside, and as she starts to walk toward Hank's door, you know, it's one of those seedy, dirty, grimy, poorly maintained apartment buildings. So obviously this is spooky. There are no lights in the hallway either, apparently. As she starts walking towards the door, and Hank jerks the door open, and he's wrapped in aluminum foil, which scares the <laughs> crap out of Nancy, and she drops the plant. She's still carrying the plant. Apparently, being chased by a gang of rapists is not sufficient to make her put down the plant. Yeah. I don't even know why she picked that plant up. I guess to, like, conk somebody over the head with it. But that, yeah, know, she, said, she said she was going to rescue it. Oh. I get that. Okay, like, yeah. Because it was out in the trash. Yeah, my Chris is not going to kill this plant. I'm going to do something positive with my life. Right, right. Maybe she she can save the plant and that'll break the curse. And then he comes to the thing with, like, he's got, like, an aluminum sack on his head. He looks like the fucking uh, Zodiac killer or some shit. Yeah, yeah. Totally fucks that up. She drops the flower. Well, he tries to explain about the aluminum foil and doesn't do a good job of it. So he tells her to wait while he finds something for her plant. 
He found something all right. He brought her a crock pot. <laughs> she is a little freaked out, so he does the only thing to do to, to calm down a freaked out person. Invite them into the crazy person's apartment. Oh, my God. Inside, in the living room, the walls are covered with aluminum foil. The windows are lined with the tops off of metal vegetable cans. There are bottle caps nailed to the furniture. Everything is metal lined. She's she's ready to leave at this point because she's super freaked out. So Hank tries to calm her down by offering her a variety of mental health medications. <laughs> she rejects all of them. So he offers her something to eat. Uh, she asks for Jello, and uh, she finally agrees to wait while he goes to find something to eat. He's talking to himself in the kitchen the way a lonely guy will. And she overhears it and isn't so freaked out by what she heard because he was talking about how pretty she was. While Hank's in the kitchen, Nancy's looking through all of Hank's books. He returns and offers her a Japanese bean paste cake. <laughs> what in the world? I don't know what it is, but if somebody offered it to me, I'd try it. Japanese bean paste cake. That sounds horrible, though. Yeah, it does sound like, horrible. Japanese people don't eat that, man. <laughs> they, I know, they it. export it to the United States. That crap's nasty. Get that out of here. Send it to the U.S. They'll yeah, eat it. it. It sounds like a, like, I don't know, like a Twinkie that's stuffed with, like, I don't know, curry or something. I don't know. Yeah. I would not eat that. Well, she asked who Hank was trying to call when he called her, and he said he was trying to call a party line because he was lonely. And she asked if he's ever been in a mental hospital, and he says he was briefly. She said, well, how long is briefly? And he said three and a half years. That's an eternity. It sounds like it, yeah. Yeah. Well, the conversation moves to suicide. Hank says he's never thought of, of suicide. But when Nancy asked why he was in the mental hospital, he said he was there because he tried to kill himself. <laughs> like, you shouldn't laugh, but come on, that's funny. <laughs> that's, that's like some fucking Groucho Marx level of wit, you know? It's like, hey, you know. Well, they're talking about how dangerous it is outside because she's glancing at the door and seeing all of the deadbolt locks on that door. And she, you know, it's, it's pretty, it's not a real good, nice neighborhood. And they start talking about how dangerous it is outside. So Hank kind of floats the idea that Nancy can stay there with him at his apartment. Nancy's not going to, Nancy's not going to stay with Hank because she doesn't know him. Hank says, well, you can get to know me. And so she asks, do you like poetry? And that's when he tells her he writes poetry. Of course. Hmm. Nancy wants to read some of his poetry. So, and he says no. But then he asks her to wait uh, because maybe he's going to go get one of his poems. Instead, he's kind of having an anxiety attack in the other room. Everything going through his head is about how what she'll say when she reads his poem and absolutely hates it. I will say this movie nails social anxiety. Oh, yeah. Uh, shit. Half the time I'm watching, I'm thinking I'm watching like one of those educational videos in uh, high school or yeah. something for widows. Yeah, I, I mean, they absolutely nailed. So this this is probably written by somebody with crippling social anxiety. Oh, yeah. I don't know how else you can get it that correct. Made for weirdos and like by weirdos, you know? Yes. 
Well, when Hank returns, he's going to let Nancy read one of her poems, and he flips through several books before selecting one for her to read. He hands it to her, and he has filled every bit of that page with cramped little writing. Yeah, it's like college rules, too, so it's like... Yeah, I mean, margins, everything, full. Nancy starts reading his poem out loud, and she really likes it. And she says he's very talented, but he should write happier poems. Well, Hank suggests that maybe he would write happier poems if he had somebody to not be alone with, you know, somebody like Nancy. I mean, he just met this girl, but he always, he's good with her moving in. A red flag. <laughs> like yeah, the, exactly. I'm going to fall all over the walls and shit, you know, she ain't running he's away. Done, but... He's done everything short of telling her that he loves her already. Yeah. Now, Nancy says that Hank wouldn't like her very much if he got to know her, and that's when he makes up a poem for her, promising to never be like his dad. And so she decides to stay a couple of days, but she's going to sleep on the couch. She also suggests that maybe they could go somewhere, and Hank suggests going to the kitchen, uh, but she meant somewhere outside. (laughs) Uh, She wants to go to Venice, Venice, California, because Ray mentioned that he had been hanging out there. Her ex-boyfriend had been hanging out there. Hank starts to tell her where he has always wanted to go, but all of a sudden he can't talk because it looks like he's having a sur- uh, a seizure, when in fact the imaginary surgeon has grabbed him by the throat and is trying to inject him with that huge syringe again. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, don't be vulnerable in front of her. I'll shut you down. Well, Nancy breaks him out of it by slapping Hank. That snaps him out of his uh, anxiety moment. The surgeon threatens to get at Hank again, so he punches Nancy, knocking her out, and that (laughs) makes the surgeon go away. Um, That's probably going to be a deal breaker on a first date. (laughs) I know, right? I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that if you... If you punch a girl in the face, she's probably not going to go out with you a second time. And if she does, that's that's probably even a bigger red flag. If if you punch a girl in the face and she goes out with you a second time, you fucking deserve that. Yeah. (laughs) Hank is apologizing to Nancy as she's starting to wake up, but she's not all the way awake. So she doesn't actually see Hank. She sees one of the uh, gang members and starts shooting at him. When Nancy realizes what she's done, she's going to leave. She is cursed, and she needs to protect Hank from her curse, so she's got to go. Hank wants her to stay, and as she tries to open all the locks on the door, Hank kisses her and asks her not to go. I mean, he's just getting worse. Yeah. Uh, But Nancy leaves anyway. Hank is trying to open the door to follow her, but the doorknob shocks him. Down on the street, Nancy says at least she didn't get dumped by Hank. At least she left him. He didn't leave her. Hank is distraught and says he doesn't deserve to live, and that's when the picture of Edgar Allan Poe on the book cover starts talking to him. He also hears the telephone operator telling him to get a life and try his call again. The lingerie model out on the billboard tells him he doesn't need Nancy because he's got her. And the surgeon arrives to tell him he's tired and he needs to lie down. 
That's when the rappers show up again and sing about his nervous meltdown. And Mikhail Gorbachev, on the cover of Time magazine, tells him that he's worse off than prisoners because at least prisoners have their mail brought to them. <laughs> Hank is just completely, completely falling apart. Yeah, that was that. That rejection was probably the straw that did it. I mean, it is. Yeah. I mean, he, he goes ape shit from this point on. Right. Well, this starts to be too much for Hank, and he starts trashing his apartment. He stops when he gets to the plant, though. Uh, he runs to the window and calls after Nancy, but she's gone. So he's going to take extreme measures, and he begins wrapping himself up in an aluminum foil superhero costume. <laughs> he made a little oh, belt. Man. He's got little Power Ranger straps, all kinds of stuff. It's awesome. It, it, it kind of looks like it. Or it looks exactly like a crazy person went full on Iron Man with a bunch of aluminum foil. Yes, it does. By the door, he picks up a baseball bat and he is ready to go. Out in the hallway, Hank is confronted by the surgeon, but this time Hank's going to fight back. Uh, the surgeon punches Hank, but Hank beats the surgeon down with the baseball bat. They fight back and forth in the hallway a little bit. Uh, Hank's baseball bat versus the surgeon's bone saw, and Hank wins. Downstairs, he meets the guy who thinks that Hank could be a killer, and that scares the guy back into his apartment. He says, you're the, you're the guy who never comes out of his apartment. He says, yeah, I'm Hank. And now you're coming out? Yeah. Uh-oh. <laughs> and he goes running back inside. He, like, when he says, yeah, I'm Hank, he reaches out his hand, and uh, he kind of like, oh, baseball bat, and he brings up his other hand. And, yeah, <laughs> yeah then the black guy's like, oh, hell no, nah, and just turns around and just slams the door. <laughs> like, I ain't shaking your hand, man. Yeah, it's got evidence all no. over it. Yeah, get away from me. That's I'm how you catch crazy. Yeah, he's going to get crazy all on my hand. Yep. Out on the street, Hank sets off to find Nancy. That's when the anxiety grabs Hank again, and the street cracks open, revealing a giant chasm. Car falls into the pit. Hank manages to dispel this hallucination by hitting himself in the head with the baseball bat. <laughs> <laughs> His heart's in the right place, man. I don't know. Yeah. As long as his head will hold up for the rest of this movie. Meanwhile, Nancy is berating herself for trusting Hank or not trusting Hank or something, whatever. She's she's giving herself what for. In an alley, Hank calls to Nancy. She's on another street, though. Hank is starting to realize that he's lost. Meanwhile, one of the gang members spots Nancy and goes to get the rest of the gang. It's kind of comical because the gang hides out in a dark spot uh in town and this gang member that has spotted nancy is kind of scared to be in this dangerous part of town so he's got a baseball bat and he rounds a <laughs> corner and sees one of his buddies and swings the baseball bat and just knocks him on his ass but it's okay they're in the same gang fucking weird well they go off looking for nancy and they round a corner and there stands hank wrapped in aluminum foil that scares hank and his screaming scares the gang members, and they run off. <laughs> this is this is not a very competent gang. 
Nah, this is like breaking down to that point in like a Scooby-Doo episode where they're just running through a hallway and they're barely missing each other every time. Yeah, this is a Scooby-Doo moment where they both go up in the air backwards at an angle away from each other and then run away. Yeah. Hank is completely lost and he's ready to give up on finding Nancy. That's when a giant spider comes down the wall of a building and starts chasing after him. Oh, I love this part. That like that whole animated spider thing is fucking cool. It's a very good spider. Yeah. The spider starts chasing Hank through the streets of L.A. And this is where we see that the spider is actually a garbage truck. I know, right? Is the truck driver just like an asshole or something? He sees this guy. is He's pretty much chasing him down the road. The guy won't get out of the way. Shouldn't the truck driver just stop? Or I mean, or yell at him. apparently there's not much opportunity uh, for entertainment in the middle of the night in Los Angeles in 1991. So you got to take your fun where you can find it. Yeah, I guess, you know, it's either that or watch like, you know, Tracy Ullman or something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that was the dumbest damn show. <laughs> it was. It gave us the Simpsons, so it gave us the Simpsons. Yeah, it was and something it was to come on after Married with Children. With children, yeah. So I was like, yeah, what are you gonna do? You're not gonna change the channel. Yep. Meanwhile, Nancy is in the alley hiding from a passing cop car. She's still got that gun that she stole. And as the cop car leaves, she sees a sign in the alleyway that says "Dead End" and decides that's the sign that she needs. And the instruction that she needs, and she's going to could she's going to kill herself. She puts the gun in her mouth and starts to pull the trigger when Hank shows up, yelling at her to kill the spider behind her. So she shoots the garbage truck. <laughs> that scares the crap out of the driver. That's enough to put him off of chasing Hank. He puts the uh, garbage truck in reverse, turns around, and gets out of there. Hank doesn't see the garbage truck still. He still sees the giant spider. And when the giant spider dies in the middle of the road, he tells Nancy that she saved his life and that he has a plan and he needs her. And she has nowhere to go so she can stay with him. But Nancy's not hearing it. And she sends him away and tells him that she never wants to see him again. Now she walks off and leaves Hank. When somebody says something behind her, she thinks it's Hank, but it's not. It's the rapist that she shot in the foot. And uh, he got out of the hospital after being in surgery for five hours. And now he's ready to kill her. But not so fast because Hank shows up to rescue her. He's not afraid of this guy at all. So they face off butterfly knife versus baseball bat. I don't know. I mean, compared to like a giant spider, like one like gang member is not that bad. Yeah, I, I I get that. Yeah, like I compared take to a giant spider, member. a guy in it in it wearing a shirt that's too tight. I I go after the guy in the shirt that's too tight. Oh yeah, every time. And then hope the spider shows up to eat that guy. <laughs> that's the problem with giant spiders. They're never around when you really need them. They're always there when you're trying to like go to sleep or something. Exactly. Well, Hank starts having another seizure. Then he recovers and hits the guy in the head with the baseball bat. But that doesn't have much effect because this guy has a steel plate in his head. I don't think that's the way that works, honestly. Yeah. 
In fact, it should like make it worse, right? You knock a screw loose. You would think because there'd be that bong and it would echo real loud. Oh, it sucked too. It's a wooden bat. Oh man. <laughs> be like those Buddhist bowls that make the ringing noise. Oh, my friends got a couple of those. They love them. Well, if hitting him in the head with the bat with the bat didn't do any good. Um, Hank's got another idea. And he stomps on the foot that Nancy shot earlier. And then he just breaks the bat over the guy's head. I mean, he just takes a baseball swing at this guy's face. I love that. Because, like, he he hits, like, he comes down on the foot. And then it shows him standing over him. And he does the camera. And it hits it. And then the camera shoots up at the sky. And then you see, like, the fucking, just the piece of baseball. But that's totally like a Sam Raimi like thing from the movie i mean he, he used that in like evil dead he used it in the yeah. spider-man movies and shit it really sells the action in that scene oh and then the the piece of bat that went flying off it goes like across town and hits her boyfriend in the fucking back of the head <laughs> as he's getting out of a taxi cab or some shit it's funny as fuck yeah so so hank takes a baseball swing at this guy's face and when he does he not only takes out the gang member, the, but the bat breaks. The end of the bat goes swing, spinning off into the air. Ray and his new girlfriend are driving along, and she doesn't like the way he's talking to her. He calls her a bitch and says he'll talk to her any way he wants. Shows, so she dumps him out of the car on the street and drives off. He decides he's going to go look for Nancy and the broken end of the baseball bat beans him in the back of the head, knocking him out. (laughs) That was great. (laughs) The sun rises over Los Angeles. Nancy and Hank are heading back to Hank's apartment. She says she's bad luck, but he tries tries to talk her into going to his brother's wedding with him. She says he doesn't know her, but he doesn't care. And he gives her a Big old weird Hank kiss. <laughs> like those kisses are kind of cringy, aren't they? They definitely are. That I know that one where he kissed her where she's trying to unlock the doors. I'm like, dude, you can't just. Dude, she's running from rapists and shit. You just Did don't you learn nothing like, from Bill Cosby? You can't do that. Yeah. I, oh man, it's like consent. Hello. It, yeah, but he just like smooches her. You know. Yeah. Which, at, in the, at, at, at his door when he's unlocking the thing, that was kind of cringy. That, the second one was a little bit sweeter. Yes. Cut to the wedding. Hank is introducing Nancy to his family, and then he asks Nancy to dance. The camera pans down to their feet, and we can see that Hank has aluminum foil under his suit, and it's sticking out, under, out of his pants legs and crinkling as they dance. <laughs> From there, it cuts to Hank's apartment window, and the flower is blooming in the crock pot in the apartment window. And roll credit. Roll credit. That was that was a messed up movie, Jesse. <laughs> yeah, it's like it, short, sappy. Yeah, it had like, its um, its comic high points, though. Yeah, I can see this kind of attracting a cult following due to Bruce Campbell. I also like just the, the Raimis, man. Right. It's another the, little footprint that they put into the cinema verse. I love yeah. their stuff. Innovators, they really are. They Because they are. They, they're like, I don't know, the next wave of the Free Stooges. Yes. So they take the yep. same kind of sensibility and they apply it to like every genre movie. 
from like yeah some kind of like detective story to fucking shit raising arizona like whatever the fuck that was well, that was decent <laughs> that was uh that was the cohen brothers but the, the cohen brothers had a, like a big relationship because they lived with uh sam raimi right like when they first started and shit so like they were always bouncing shit off ideas and shit so they had that kind of Almost like a shared universe, you know? Yeah, they're kind of kindred spirit. Yeah, but... uh, And, I mean, nobody ever thought of replacing a guy's hand a chain for Sam Ray. Yeah, no. Hell, that's... that's, If that was my legacy, I'd be fine with that. But, like, he keeps on putting out good shit. His brother, he keeps on starting in good shit. So I'm going to keep on watching him. Yep. All right, man, I think that's a podcast. Hell yeah. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. We had a lot of fun making it. Be sure to subscribe and leave a rating wherever you hear us. You can follow CDF Pod on Facebook and Instagram or at CDF underscore pod on Twitter. You can also visit our website at CDFpod.com. And don't forget you can help us make donations to film schools all across the country by going to Patreon.com slash CDF Pod. Join us next time as we explore another movie so awesome it probably shouldn't have been made.